Hello and welcome to Carl's Interviews in podcast form. This is an audio extraction of the live interviews that I've conducted with some absolutely fantastic guests from all walks of life with a common theme of being truly inspiring and I cannot wait for you to hear their story. I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to another of Carl's interviews. Today I am joined by the fantastic Tom Bosworth. Tom is a race walker who is a British and world record holder, Olympian. And it's, um, Tom, absolutely fantastic to have you on today. How are you doing? Uh, I think it's going well, thank you. Thanks for, thanks for inviting me as well to uh, kind of be part of this. It sounds like you've had some really exciting guests in the past, so... Uh, yeah, really honoured to be uh, for you to ask me to be involved, and um, uh, things have been going very well given the world we're in right now. Obviously, we're trying to prepare for an Olympic Games. Uh, that looks like it's going to go ahead. It's going to be pretty different to kind of what what we're used to, but you know, every athlete would much prefer it to go ahead in some form rather than uh, not at all. But unfortunately, the last couple of weeks, I've picked up a little bit of a injury, which is just part and parcel of sport. It's nothing too serious. Um, it's involved a few needles and injections in the side of my hip and leg, which has been very unpleasant. But uh, again, comes with sort of training every day, twice a day, putting your body through it. And uh, yeah, uh, it's not my first little injury. It's not going to be my last. And we're we're still planning and preparing for the Olympic trials, which are just two weeks away. Literally that close. It's it must be exciting, but also uh, I suppose nerve wracking as well from your side. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, given, given a little bit of an injury, given COVID, it's all just a bit like let's just <laughs> hope it goes ahead and uh, yeah, I can get there and and finish uh, in the top two, uh, which is kind of all I need to really do. All I need to do. Uh, it's <laughs> it's. Uh, I'm one of the early athletes with uh, the Olympic qualifying time, so it kind of makes my job a little bit more simple. I don't have to worry about too much about winning or, or you know, setting a, a certain time for the 20k distance. It's just turning up and making sure uh, I finish in the top two British athletes. So uh, fingers crossed, I can I can get in sort of race fitness uh, in the next couple of weeks. It's interesting because it's until you start to understand more of the, I suppose, those nuances of the athletics piece in terms of points or qualifying times, etc. You don't really realise what goes into it because talking to Dean Macy a while ago, he was saying that for one of his decathlons, he literally worked out to the metre, the second, the yard, what he needed to do because he had an injury and it was to do just enough and then focus on that end goal afterwards. Yeah, I, I can imagine, you know, each event's a little bit a little bit different but I guess the process is pretty much the same it's uh, whether you know you're in the in the decathlon a sprinter a long jumper pole vaulter or like me uh, a, a walker you, you have to s- set a certain standard that's how how far you throw the shot put or whatever uh, um, for me it's a certain time over 20 kilometers and then you have the opportunity at the trials whenever they come about normally they're closer in the summer but given covid they've kind of brought them forwards a bit so for the marathon and the walks they're in two weeks and as long as we finish top two you kind of get that automatic place so you've got the time out and finish yeah. top two um three people can go so um it leaves it open for the selectors to add one more person if if somebody else has got the qualifying mark as well so it's not all the be all and end all at the trial but obviously you just want to kind of 
tick the box, get it done, get in the team, and then you can just focus for the summer. But I suppose, interestingly, your event has a, an additional level of complexity in terms of with the volume of judges watching it, the compliance with the straight legs. And I mean, for those watching, can you talk a little bit through exactly what it involves to be, I suppose, race walking compliant and not get your red cards? Yeah, I mean, uh, lots of people kind of, they either see race walking once every four years at the Olympic Games uh, or for slightly older generation they've seen <laughs> Malcolm in the middle or, or things like that tv shows like that or even go, going back again we have had a lot of medals in the 60s and, uh, and 70s in the past so um well it was that wasn't it at Tokyo it was um Ken Matthews in 64 was the last gold medalist yeah that's that, right. well, if that's an interesting thing that you're going to go for Tokyo and go for it as well it is. It's a. It's an interesting uh, link that I try and not speak too much about because, <laughs> uh, because it, no, it's a lovely link, and it's of course my my ambitions for Tokyo. Excuse me. Are just to are to try and win a medal. Yeah. Um, I was sixth in in Rio, and yeah. and so yeah, yeah, of course. But you know, I'd still be very happy with tenth, with eighth, um, if I can get my most out of my body and out, out of the performance and I can't ask for any more and it, it's fractions between a medal and sixth, yeah. seventh, eighth place. So yeah and, and again in my event as you say like we have the rules in place to make sure we don't run. Um, you know for us the technique is it's ingrained because we've done it for 15 years. Um, you know we have to land with a straight leg and we have to make sure we always have one point of contact uh, with the ground at all yeah. times. Uh, that can cause a little bit of controversy sometimes because it's all judged by the human eye there's no sort of yeah. slow-mo cameras and that sort of thing and and people ask oh well won't that make it easier uh, and i was like well it will but it'll probably take make it a lot less athletic and so you know like boxing and gymnastics is all judged by by people yeah uh, and and so is our event and so sometimes you see pictures or slow-mo uh, videos of the walkers having both feet off the ground but it, it, it's so minimal it is literally milliseconds and so it can't be seen by the judges and, and so is is perfectly okay and so that's I think often a bit of a misconception with the sport as well is that people think um uh oh that, I saw that walker with both feet off the ground were they disqualified or not and so uh you know disqualification is part of the event it adds a bit of spice to it you know that like a marathon doesn't have, I guess it's it, it certainly adds a bit a bit of drama. That's for sure. I haven't had many disqualifications, touch wood, in my career, and and but it is part of it. It's not like yeah. oh, starting or anything. It's just it's it's just sometimes you have a bit of an off day. But when you're going for the qualification, will you kind of be a little bit more conservative or focus on your technique, your form a bit more, or just race as you normally would? Um, yeah, I think the tri the trial race. I now. You know, I, I hate going into a race and thinking I can't win it because I, I love winning. Who doesn't love winning? <laughs> you know, but it's very much like, you know, there's there's some top guys now around me. And I know that really this trial race in two weeks is about making sure I just finish in that top two and get my automatic place in Team GB. Um, I don't want to put anything. I don't want to risk anything given I've had the last three, four weeks off with, with this injury. And so definitely think about technique when you've been injured a little bit you don't want to kind of push your body too much right. uh, your technique might not be as strong enough or you might tweak that injury yet again and so really it's all just preparing for what's yet to come and hopefully more racing fingers crossed there's more racing to come before Tokyo um, and so yeah it's, it's kind of going through the process and trying to 
trying to stay sort of calm and, and collected and knowing that it's just the process. And you've had, dare I say, two polar opposite periods in terms of the last 13 months from the incredible records of the 5K and the 10K early part of last year, then COVID that absolutely knocked you for six. So that must have, again, affected your confidence. But what were your thoughts then when the Olympics were postponed, bearing in mind the success you'd had at the start and then obviously how poorly you've been as well? Yeah, I mean, in the space of that month of this time last year, March, I set back to back British records, as you said, uh, but the times as well were, were the 10K was, I think, a world lead and, and it was the eighth fastest 5K indoors ever. And I just knew I was in, I was in great shape and, and I still look back at it now and, and, and uh, I wonder what might have been for 2020. I wonder whether that really was my, my year. I wonder whether, you know, sometimes athletes, you get this purple patch in a career and yeah. it all comes together. And I had a torrid 2018, 2019 mm -hmm. injuries and mental health issues and all sorts yeah. that had just ruined the last couple of years. And I was just really enjoying life in 2020 again and really enjoying competing. And, and that was evident um, as I was doing races through the winter and then and then hit those races this time last year. And the I knew I'd put in such a great block of work as well. It was a real, real shame that sort of the Olympics were pulled. But as you say, I then got very ill with COVID. It, it really did take me and my fiance down. Uh, we felt awful for a short period of time, but then felt the onset of, of, of COVID. I don't know whether it was long COVID really, but also I don't know, not many people who've had COVID are trying to push their bodies to the limit that, that I do. And so I think we're all also overanalyzing and we checked my lungs and we checked my heart and everything like that, which sounds a bit bit dramatic, but it was a, we didn't know. And so the doctors just wanted to make sure before I kind of really pushed myself again, I was healthy and, and fully fully recovered. So yeah. it did write off that last summer. So if the, if the games hadn't been postponed, uh, I wouldn't have been in the, form I was just three weeks before falling ill so in a way you can say oh what could have been but but if the if they weren't cancelled then maybe I would never have got to even go so it, 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 every cloud <laughs> exactly what a wonderful way of looking at it I'm going to, if I can, sort of go back to how you got into athletics and race walking. One of the things I'm going to a couple of times encourage people to do now to really put into terms how quick you can actually walk. Because <laughs> I've got some, I've seen some runners I know on here. Um, if people just within the comments can put on what their fastest running mile is and their first fastest park run, sort of 5K, because it's, I think sometimes it's a misnomer saying, walking within the race walking bit because it i know technically it is but it's crazy the times you're doing but yeah. anyway <laughs> i lo i love that i do love well hopefully park runs will be back up and running soon because because I, I love going along to local races and and kind of surprising people or some people now <laughs> you know no they, they see me walking they go oh I, we, I know who that is yeah. um, and they're really like excited to see it in real life because people are just blown away by how, how quick we are walking and it, it is and it, it's such an unusual thing to watch it because it's not quite conventional and even i think you made a, a video about you running as well and you you run like you race walk as well. <laughs> yeah <laughs> that that's just unfortunately 15 years of, of race walking <laughs> muscles and 
Um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, I enjoy running, but it, I, yeah. I'm not very efficient. <laughs> <laughs> so to kind of t- take it back, then you was it about eleven you got into athletics with the Tunbridge Athletics Club. Yeah, yeah, I was eleven. Tunbridge Athletics Club in Kent um, joined because my sister, my mum wanted us to do exercise, keep fit, make friends do something outside of school. I never really enjoyed school at all. I didn't really enjoy sport, to be perfectly honest, and athletics, when it, whether it was running or, or I really enjoyed the long jump. It was just uh, something I could do by myself. There was no, yeah. it wasn't football, rugby, you know, it was team sport. I was never built to be a rugby player, that's for sure. So, um, yeah, it was just a way I could just go at my own pace, uh, enjoy it for the benefits of doing sport. And... At what stage then did you realise kind of you had a bit of a talent for this then or um, it was more than just I was enjoying physically turning up and being there? It wasn't until my late teens. I'd done it for six, seven years purely for fun and honestly was coming last in local races and was didn't win a race until I probably was 18, 19, you know. I never dreamt it would be anything more. I did a bit of running. Uh, I, the race walking was just encouraged from by the local coach there. And he just, even if I came last, he would find something positive to say. And that's what I think Super. my parents loved, me and my sister loved about just the environment. It was just so supportive. And so uh, there was no pressure, which is also, I think, put, left me in a really good place now because yeah. I haven't had 10 years of being a junior and pressure from my coach there to now have the external pressures of going to Olympic Games, World Championships and trying to be a full-time athlete. If I'd had that on top of what I have now, I don't think I'd still be competing because it had been so many years of of pressure. Was that Peter Selby that kind of got you into it, was it? Yes, yeah, that's right. Uh, You've done your research. Yeah, Peter's a brilliant guy. rude not to. Yeah, absolutely. No, Peter's a a, uh, brilliant guy. And he's the sort of coach that just encourages youngsters to get involved in athletics if they want to try some race walking or they want to not not do what he sets in training and go and kick a ball around. He'll just encourage it just because he wants to see kids outside exercising, having fun. Um, And that's why I think I stayed in the sport for as long as I did because I didn't stay in it because I was good because I wasn't. So uh, he just created this lovely environment that that was so... And we could grow as, as... individuals as well and and um yeah he uh, I, he is the reason I, I stayed in the sport until a teenager a late teenager anyway so I've got a lot lot to thank him for and that's a wonderful ethos as well as it because you hear of a lot of athletes that retire and want to go back and give back to at the grassroots level I know you've done bits at schools and even during COVID as well you've tried to do videos to encourage and it's what we want and need, isn't it? And each generation needs those people to inspire us. It's wonderful you've been able to cite that he did that and he inspired you to keep going to what later became some incredible successes. Yeah, and, and he was really supportive in, in saying, OK, I, I can't take you any further. You need to go and make this move up to Leeds yep. to, to train full time, to study. You know, uh, I was 19 and he said, I, I can only coach you to a certain level. I, I don't know what what it will take now to get you from the level you're at to, to maybe competing internationally and, and, and maybe even uh, achieving bigger things. So he was just so supportive and, and we're still in contact to this day, even 12, 12 years on. 
And that was, so you go up north and obviously I'm from Kent as well. So it's a big trip up north to Leeds. It's, it's well up north. So you go to Leeds Beckett University and it's um, studying training with Andy then, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So how did you find it then, the sort of change from doing it locally in an area that was familiar to you for so long to then going up there to pursue hopefully the next level? Yeah, I mean, for, first of all, you're just moving north, living away from home, um, 200 miles from home. It, it, it's, it's learning to cook for yourself, clean for yourself, um, make sure you survive each day, so, <laughs> uh, which is, is not easy for, for many teenagers. So, um, yeah, that was a, le- a lesson in itself. I never really enjoyed education, so I really had to motivate myself to turn up to university. Um, and I went from training five, six times a week to 12, 13 times a week. Wow. Which was very intense and, and almost too intense, too quick. And we learned from that. Um, you know, I'd pick up little, little niggle in, injuries and I just couldn't couldn't do the training. I look at the training I do now. And I think it's so far from, you know, what, what I was doing. And, uh, and if you told me when I was 19 then that this is what the sort of training you'd be doing in, in 10 years time, uh, I'd run a mile or walk a mile um, very, very, very quickly because, you know, you'd just be, oh, goodness me, that sounds horrific. Um, so, so yeah, there was so, there was so much to learn just in life, um, let alone then try to train and behave and, and live as a full-time athlete and learn about nutrition and working with a physio or, or working with multiple coaches, a strength and conditioning coach. And over the years that, that kind of grew and we built this sort of team uh, around me, which is still in place to this day. And then we sort of fast forward a bit, 2009, you have your GB debut, which I, I mean, I don't think anyone that's not been through that could imagine what, how proud you must've been on that day to be able to be told about it and then put on the vest for the first time. Um, yeah, yeah, that was uh, literally about three months, four months before I moved to Leeds, and oh, it was a disaster, like absolute disaster. <laughs> I, I, I was ranked about twenty something in Europe and came last, <laughs> and had an absolute nightmare of a race, um, and and learnt a lot. But I also thought, goodness me, that was so hard just to make that junior team. And in walking, you compete over ten k. I had to walk about forty four minutes for ten k, I think it was, to make that team, and then. Um, and then step up to 20k just short of half a marathon and I was like I'm never going to make a make a team like I, I'm going to go to Leeds and I'm going to train full-time and all this sort of thing and I, I'm just going to just see where it takes me that's what I said to yeah. my dad my dad was keen go to uni get a job get into real life sort of thing uh, and so yeah I, I kind of didn't really expect it to uh, to to ever go to to where, where it did really um, but you know, the next year I made the Commonwealth Games in 2010 for, for 20k. I think I walked about an hour 27 for 20k. Um, still about seven, eight minutes of where I am now. And that should, sort of puts it into perspective of how far I had to sort of de- develop yeah. still. And it, it, it took me a number of years, really, 2012, 2013. And it was 2014 where I sort of started feeling like I was properly international, making international major championships year in, year out. Because you, you finished 11th in Delhi, didn't you? Yeah. And then just missed out on the qualifying time for London. London, yes. And then, am I right that you got the qualifying time for Moscow, but the team didn't, you weren't selected for the team? Yeah, yeah. Um, what was that? Moscow was the World Championships in 2013. Uh, and, yeah, the British athletics team, um, 
the head coach and, and the kind of other coaches involved in selection didn't pick me. I mean, there was space in the team. Um, you know, there was only other, one other walker in the 20k selected. And I just felt, yeah, I was, I was a bit gutted. But we were at a point where me and my coach, who's kind of was like the national walks coach, we were trying to build, rebuild kind of the event in athletics. Yeah. No, nobody in even at athletics, let alone in, wide, in the wider world, knew kind of what, what my weird and quirky event was. <laughs> um, and so there weren't any performance pathways or, you yeah. know, these, these head coaches didn't know kind of what to, to look for in a younger athlete that might be able to then compete for medals in the years to come. So they just, so despite getting really close to qualifying for London, just missed out on that. I thought, right, I'm, I use that as motivation. I'm never going to miss the championships again. And then didn't get picked the, year, the 12 months later, which then between me and you pissed me right off, oh, <laughs> as you can imagine. Yes. And, and I said, right, I'm never going to, I'm never ever going to miss the championships ever again and and back then in 2012 2013 there wasn't this trial system that we have now that we explained at the beginning where if you finish top two with the time you're yeah. automatically qualified that that didn't exist and so it was purely on the selectors uh, and so from 2014 onwards they put this trial system in for us and and funnily enough i i haven't touched word mr champion yes since. <laughs> so uh, and and I always I call myself like a um, a reliable performer. When I go to the championships, I, I'm only going to go there if I feel like I can be competitive and and be in good good shape, sort of thing. Uh, I'm not going to go there just to make up the numbers and, and come last. If if you know, uh, so it kind of made me work to a certain level and get to a certain point that when I was making these major championships year in year out, I was really really good enough to be there. And I mean, you've got to respect that from an outsider looking in and surely your fellow competitors and the coaches respect that as well, because it's not all athletes will do that. Will there? Some will just, oh, I'll give it a go and see how I fare up. Yeah. And, and you know, every, everybody's different. And, and for some athletes, just making a world European or, or Olympic team is, is enough for, for me, you know, it was at one point I was like, oh, if I can get, if I can do every major championships, uh, that's that's fine i can retire happy you know and then and then i did that uh, and and well what should have been last year i should have completed the set twice yes. over uh, and now it's like well no if i'm not in the top 10 or really in the top eight or really in the top six i'm going to be disappointed and you can see how your mind goes oh yeah, yeah sixth in rio seventh in the world seventh year in europe uh, yeah, I'm not. I, I don't want to be any further down. So I'm. I, I'm only going to go to a major championships now, if I'm ready to race. You know, ready to compete for medals. Well, obviously, sixth in Rio. You you just mentioned that. I mean, you were just inside the top thirty in terms of ranking, and weren't you leading for about sixteen of the twenty k of Rio as well? <laughs> yeah, there's always one idiot that goes to the front of the race <laughs> at about three k. I felt awful before the race. I really <laughs> did feel awful. I thought, oh, I've ruined, I've ruined my, my Olympics here. Um, and I swear to this day, someone's got to go back and look at the footage because I swear I cut a corner or something because, right. <laughs> because I've got no idea. I went from about 40th to first and I was yeah. like, I'm just sticking to my race plan. Like, yes. It's nothing ludicrous. It's just no one seems to be taking this on. And each lap went round and because of the judging, race walking was done on a lap rather than a yeah. big like, yeah, yeah. 20k loop. 
So each each kilometer ticked by and I was still winning and I was just like, oh, the Chinese and the Japanese and the Australians and, the, and well, there weren't any Russians then. They'll, they'll, they'll come past at some point. And, and, you know, 10K came around, 12K, 15K came around. And I was like, what's going on? Like, but in my mind, it was still, I was just happy to be there. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm ranked about 27th. I, I might still finish in the top top 20 and I'm leading the Olympic Games with four laps to go. And that's my mindset. And that's my one regret about the Olympic Games in 2016 was not knowing quite how fit and, and how far I had come Yeah. Um, over the, kind of the last 12 months. Because the year before was the World Championships in Beijing. I'd finished yep. about 21st, I think it is. Um, and so I, that's where I thought, you know, my aim was to finish top 20 in Rio. So, yeah, I don't think... I mean, my coach would pretend he'll say, "Oh, yeah, you, you, um, I knew you were in a, you were in this sort of shape." And and we look back at it, and the training had been brilliant, but but yeah, I never quite realised I'd taken such a step on, and um, yeah, my my one regret is is not having that mindset of, hang on, maybe I can get a medal today. Um, I'm not saying I could have, but it might have changed something, or it might have led me down a worse path and I blow up and, and I would have, you know, finished 10th, 12th, whatever. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Hindsight. <laughs> but it is interesting as well. The, you talk about the correct mindset and it's something actually, and we'll unpick it a little bit later, kind of some of the highs and lows all around your brain sinking, the mental health piece, I suppose the power of it. And it must be one of those things that as an athlete, as you mature, you gain more experience, that mental piece can assist you more because you learn more, don't you? And there you go, you're looking back already saying, if I'd have thought differently. Oh, yeah. Uh, an elite sport in, in anything is uh, on performance day, whether it's a match or a race or whatever it is, it, it's it's 80% in the head, 20% in the legs sort of thing. You, you've done the training, you've done the work physically for the last months and years beforehand. You can throw it all away on race day by letting your head, run away from yourself and that's something I've always been very proud of and very strong minded I think in my racing is you know I'm going to go for this I know kind of where I should be at I'm not going to try and that I think I'm at too soon and, and I yeah. think that's why my development was really really steady even though it was you know you look at other athletes uh, I'm probably quite late later in the day I didn't I didn't start making champs till my mid-20s where there's you know plenty of other um, lads from different countries make them from 21 22 so when I did start doing it it was year on year progression uh, and I think that was because I was a sensible uh, and and never never put any limit on what I can achieve racer sort of thing that's uh, and and each time there was a step forwards I celebrated that enjoyed that moment and then went right what's next it wasn't oh I came 50th that day right next year I want to win it was okay I was 50th that day now can I get to 40th next year can I get to 30th yeah. that one and what we kind of seen looking back is so sixth in Rio an incredible achievement obviously proposed to Harry on the Copacabana beach what an incredible thing and then is it at the early part of um, 2017 you also got um, your fastest mile time as well um, is that right? Five thirty-one for the mile. Yes, yeah, and my age is showing because I can't 
people ask me what it is and I forget, which is really bad <laughs> given it's a world record and it was an amazing day in the Olympic Stadium to set that. And uh, yeah, it was just very, very special. Um, but, but also to put it in terms for, I expect there's very few runners on here and those that will catch up that can run one mile in five minutes, 31 seconds and you're race walking it. I mean, it's incredible achievement. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, you know, it, it's one thing that I've spoken about all, all the time still now. And, and um, it, as you say, it's really easy to put it into kind of running uh, context uh, is, is a mile or, or a 5k, that sort of thing. People know what these distances are. And then when they hear the times, they're just, they, they, yeah, they are blown away. And, and I, I, you know, it, it's called walking and that sort of thing. And people hear race walking, or it must be really slow. Yeah. And even when you watch it on telly, it's like anything. If you watch a Premier League football match on telly, it's it's the first club in the world, in the country versus the fifth best club in the country. You know, if you put a Sunday eleven in there against against Chelsea, Man United, Arsenal, they'd, they'd be absolutely destroyed. But yeah. uh, you, you just can't see the sort of, uh, speeds we go at when when we're all together going yeah. at the same speed <laughs> so uh, you know uh, people joke with me you know on training camps and stuff other teammates in other athletics events and say oh you should you should get an event where, where they st stick a random runner in your races <laughs> and it will show how fast we're walking to these people running I mean it, it's not the same but I love that advert I think the BBC did when people tried to run at the same speed on the treadmill. They got took the treadmill up to Mo's, Mo Farah's yes. yes. and said, right, how far can you run yeah. at this pace? And some people did about 10 seconds. Yeah. And they could last about 10 <laughs> seconds. So it's, a, it's the same thing. You watch Mo run on telly and, and you can't really figure out how, just how fast he's going. And it's the same with walking. But haven't you done an event for a bit of fun where you actually um, walked against the runner as well? Yeah, yeah, but I mean, this 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 runner was is kind of one of the best runners in the country. <laughs> so he had to run an extra lap of the track. I did a kilometre, and he did yeah. fourteen hundred metres, and he had to right. try and unlap himself and yeah. catch me, and he he didn't quite do it. So uh, <laughs> I think we judged it and timed it pretty well. Like, it was quite fun coming down the home straight as he was trying to catch me. But again, it, it was it's just you know. I realise race walking isn't your your norm event, it isn't a normal sport. But right now, especially walking is so popular. Yeah, it, it, I'm just trying to kind of spread the fun and walking message uh, that uh, of the benefits of it, and that's why I'm so up for doing you know fun events uh, on TV or, or local local walking races or walking local running races and stuff like that, just to encourage people. If fairness well, I defy anyone to actually give it a go and try and maintain, even for the briefest period of time, the speed you're doing and not say it is an athletic endurance or challenging event. I mean, because I think that the name sometimes a bit of a misconception when you actually look at it. And also the, you say the train you do, the physical fitness you, you've had to do to put into it, that strength conditioning core work. I mean, it's a lot more than I think people realise. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, I tell them I do uh, in my big training blocks, I guess, like, uh, six six days a week is uh, uh, anywhere between fifteen and twenty kilometers average. Excuse me per day. Yeah. Uh, then I'm doing sort of. Uh, it's become, you know, I'm almost doing strength work every day now. As I've got older, I've got to take a bit more care of my body, trying to get through this sort of amount of training. Um, and so I'm doing kind of keeping on top of 
uh, strength work. We've added a bit of Pilates in recently. I sleep in an altitude tent, so I'm sleeping at like 2,000, over 2,000 meters to basically add an extra level of fatigue into what I'm yeah. doing to make training and recovering even harder. Um, or we go to and uh, live in, uh, and train in, in altitude for many weeks before we compete uh, or in hot weather because we're going to race in, in hot weather climates and you know my easy walks are at, are at um sort of five minute k's eight minute mile pace uh, and then people <laughs> here you know i've walked under 40 minutes for 10k 18 minutes for 5k and uh they suddenly start to stop and think wow i mean just uh, to run a 5k in 18 minutes you've got to be fit yeah. to walk it and to be efficient strong enough uh, you know, quick enough stride, stride turnover of the with the walking technique for it all to come together is it, it doesn't happen very often. You got to get it right. <laughs> so, because for me, if I were to say to a friend or fancy fans going for a walk, then people would be happy to do that. But with you, if you say fancy going for a walk, you have people say, "No, you can sod off." Actually, I'm not interested. <laughs> I mean, people run with me training, walking, but when I, if I've got a black Labrador and when I take her for a walk, it's definitely... Is that Jess, is it? Yeah, it's definitely a jaunt. It's not a, it's not a fast walk. It's a busman's holiday. I don't, yeah. I, I try and do as little, a little walking as possible. That's why I have a car. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. So what I want to come on to now is obviously we've covered some fantastic accomplishments and we'll go on to some more, but we've got to have a talk about London 2017 and then I suppose what that did to you as well um, afterwards. So talk to me a little bit about the build up to London, what was going through your mind and then what happened on that day as well. Um, so, oh, I mean, we'd come off the Olympic Games, uh, a brilliant Olympic Games uh, as we, uh, British record, sixth place, kind of really uh, surprised me, my family, everyone really. And, and then, so the expectation just suddenly became a reality of that oh now what can tom go and do in, in 12 yeah. months at a world championships on home turf the race course is going to be up and down the mile in front of buckingham palace it's going to be incredible there's going to be thousands of people there and there really were thousands upon yeah. thousands of people there um because it was such a tourist hotspot and the british public just loved sport and they were oh they went mental on on race day for, for it they went absolutely crazy um and a month earlier, I'd set the world record for for the mile and, and had that obviously on national telly. And just to put it into kind of context again is the, the Olympics in the UK was shown on the red button with a couple of Australian commentators, I think it was. Um, and, uh, and 12 months later, it, the world championships, so technically a smaller event than the Olympics. Yeah was live on BBC Two, the full 20k race walk on a Sunday afternoon. So that's kind of where it had gone from yeah. to. And and also the British team hadn't performed too well at the World Championships no. either. We hadn't. <clears throat> Mo was the only person who won medals yeah. that, that week. And so it was coming down to a bit like, oh, well, Tom was sick at the Olympics. Make sure you watch the marathon and, or, or the walks. Uh, I, when was the marathon on? Because we had a medal hope in the marathon as well. And so the pressure was building, it had been building for months and it's kind of like, well, this is like 10 years worth of work longer to build an event back up, to have publicity, to have people wanting to tune in to see how I got on and, and wanting to watch race walking. This is amazing. Yeah, yeah. So much has changed. And it was part really of my <clears throat> own downfall. Um, 
and it's like well it's everything I wanted but then it suddenly all became a little bit too much very all too quickly and I mean the week of the race I wasn't handling a little niggle very well in my own head or or the the niggle in my knee I I had and it was just like nothing can go wrong but because I've got to get this medal um but nothing was going right and you know I just avoid seeing my coach I would avoid uh, I was trying not to be on my phone and the news or, or, or kind of social media at all but it was easier said than done when you've got nothing yeah. to do in the days before you compete and it was just I mean the pressure was just sickening I walked onto the race course uh, and it, it, I don't know how, how many uh, thousands of people were there lining it was three deep on the side of the course um, all the way around and when they introduced me and I was brought up, you know, there's 60 athletes in, in a race, but they bring about eight forward to introduce, you know, Olympic champion, yeah, this, yeah. Person, this person, and, and you know, Tom Bosworth home favourite sort of thing. And it was deafening the noise. And, and I remember thinking, I don't know how to deal with this at all. Like, I, and I don't, I don't want to be here. And, and I'm somebody who loves attention. Don't get me wrong. I, you know, I'm a very extroverted person. And I was like, oh no, the world needs to swallow me up right now and, and I need to hide away. And the the race went and I was all over the place. Like I was like, I have to win this. I have to be at the front. I have to do this. And and we got to halfway and I was leading. Yeah. Um, and, and in the new PB time, wasn't it? Were you about 39 something? If memory yeah, we serves? Through, yeah. yeah, we went through 10K in 39 minutes. I'd, I'd done just over, over one hour 20, so 80 minutes for 20K. Yeah, yeah. yeah at the Olympics a year before. So I knew I hopefully could walk under 80 minutes. Um, and it was an incredibly fast race as well. And then within a lap, so it was a, actually, I think it was a 2K lap. So within a lap, I, w I went from leading to disqualified. So I picked yeah. up, I'd actually picked up four red cards from the judges. You need three to be disqualified. I'd actually picked up four. Yes. I had one and I got three in a lap. So it was all out of the bl blue to me. Appa apparently on on telly if you're watching because many people asked me afterwards didn't you know you were getting these red cards from the judges and i said no you don't know when you've got them until you pass the start finish line and it's it says your name or your number and it shows you how many red cards you've got so i went through 10k with one red card yeah, you know yeah. which is quite common yeah you might have had a bit of a bad lap or something plenty of athletes get one or even two red cards in a race and are absolutely fine so i didn't think too much of it i was like right just concentrate and the noise every time I, every step I made was just people were screaming in my face, reaching over the barriers, like fists in my face of encouragement. And it was, I can remember that as clear as day. And it just, it just took me, took, it took me away from my own head. And that's something, as I said earlier, I'm really proud of. I can stay in my own head and maintain yeah. concentration and block everything out. This was impossible. Uh, and, and the next time round, I, I, I was disqualified. And it was it, the whole race collapsed in in front of my very eyes, and the whole crowd went silent pretty much. They didn't, but but uh, another competitor said to me afterwards, after you went out, it was like it was like somebody burst the balloon. It was the the Brit in the lead. There was another Brit Brit in the lead, so it was just like, oh, that was disappointing. Uh, and and you know the crowd chanted my name as as I was walked down the middle of the race course to, to get me off uh, at the start finish line. So I had to kind of 
get off the race course and it took ages to get get out of there and uh and it was all live as you said on on telly and and it was i think pretty pretty upsetting scenes for the people who knew me and and know me and it was it was hard it's hard to look back even now at pictures and stuff um uh, and and it was just all it felt like all these years of work it was a crescendo towards something amazing off the back of not being selected for moscow in 2013 competing at every major championships and then getting that olympic games breakthrough it was all just meant to kind of come together for this for this medal and then it didn't happen and that's where i suddenly went i've sacrificed all of this time and work for for nothing and and for what i felt was complete disappointment and let down of my coach my governing body british athletics my family friends you know i i don't see my friends half as much as i'd like to i don't get i've missed weddings and you miss kind of day-to-day things what uh, what's it for it was to go so spectacularly wrong as well you know the trouble with it being a home home games as well everybody i knew was there supporting me it wasn't like brazil or china or wherever these champs normally are and so there might be my my uh you know a couple of my friends and my parents said that's it um it was it was so full-on um and and yet it, it started a spiral of of uh kind of just my life unraveling in front of my eyes and i didn't realize it for pretty much a year um, how bad I had become in terms of kind of hating the, the sport, hating myself, not wanting to go training, not wanting to come home to my fiance. It, it was such a contrast from where we were 12 months earlier. And it was all because of a performance, all because of training and racing. And it was like, I say it over and over now, I was just Tom the athlete. And when that went, yeah what was what was left and that and you lost your identity after that disqualification yeah, yeah and it, and it shouldn't have just been about tom the athlete should have been tom the fiance the son the dog owner the the you know the friend yeah and none of that was there and that exposed that and i mean for me having not only because i remember the event i remember the devastation on your face and then i've obviously as part of my research looked into it and i've watched some of your interviews and it's it's moving you can't help but be moved by that and it's one of those always um with people experiencing mental health challenges from the outside looking you never quite understand what they're experiencing what they're going through and um i just want to read a quote you said in one of these the interviews i think it's, it's so moving and incredible really you said it made me realize standing on the bridge that night, I didn't know who that person was when I stood there. Thinking back now, it really takes me to complete control over your head and over your mind. And you can't imagine, I mean, how difficult it must have been for Harry, for those around you to have this. And all because in essence, you, if you put it in very little time, you didn't perform on a day for an event, but actually it was, as you say, it was so much more to you, wasn't it? It was, you'd built it up, everyone, the pressure around you and, I can't imagine what you must have gone through that year. And then, yeah, it's it so was, much respect for bouncing back from that as well, really. It, well, it was, you know what, it was more, it, it didn't really have anything to do with the race. The race was just the catalyst for yeah. it. You know, even if every race had gone perfectly until the day I retire, when I retired, it would, the same thing would have happened and I would have been exposed. 
for not having looked after myself and what's really important in life yeah. during that and all that did was expose it at that at that point and and why it led to the places it it did and and to to attempted suicide and all that that I still really don't know um and without without harry um especially harry i there's there's nobody else really i can put it down to uh, you know british athletics and and the doctors and and kind of uk sport and and my parents have all been brilliant but it was harry who's who saved my life and who saved our relationship and and has made everything kind of what what it is what we have today and and yeah. Like I said at the beginning, 2020 it was going so well. That was because I was so happy, and we were so happy, and we were in yeah. such a good place, and we, and we are now. Um, and and it it's probably put us in a really good place to go into a into a pandemic as well. Yeah. You know, we learned a lot <laughs> over those last two years of how to deal uh, of making sure that the little things in life are the important things, and they're the yes. ones to focus on. And so when you come in from training or or a bad day at work you're not coming into more stress. You're coming into the things that are really important to you. You're coming into seeing, seeing your dog or, or, you know, enjoying making dinner with your, with your fiance or, or whatever it is. Um, and, and that they were the things that I was taking for granted and completely ignoring pretty much. Yeah. It was like, right, train, eat, sleep, repeat. And that's it. Right. Yeah. I'm off another altitude camp. I'll see you when you're back. Uh, oh, um, are we going to buy a house? Yeah, maybe next year. You know, we'll try and we'll try and move in together or whatever. You know, it's just put off, put off, put off. After the next Olympics, we'll do this. And and that's become important to me now that that's not how I live my life. If if everything else is is good and 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 you're focused on those those things, often what you kind of do in your day job or, or or your hobbies suddenly they become a little bit easier or more enjoyable and because, because the important things are covered yeah uh, and and that's what I never got and 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 in a way I'm so glad what happened happened I wish it ha hadn't got so bad and I wish I yeah. hadn't got so bad um but I've I, I've learned so much and and you know you still have, have sad days miserable days and uh, and, and again it, you can lift yourself out of them so much easier after kind of experiencing or, or focusing on the right things and before we get on to 2018 where what wonderful kind of answer back to um what happened in 2017 in athletics and obviously the commonwealth games but do you think it's a big motivation for you as well why you talk so much and so openly about mental health and you encourage people to do the same that hopefully not find themselves in the position you were in and understand as you say the importance of being talking about it understanding it more yeah it took talking about it is, is so so hard um and it's so it's it's not always the answer immediately it, it, but it it's like what i say the first moment of what i've class talking about it but reaching out it's often such a cha life-changing moment that 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 it, it's not all solved but it it, it is the moment your life can, is saved or, or the moment things change. And that's why I say to people, you don't have to talk, but just reach out to somebody. I think that's really, really important. And and people say, oh, you know, why do you talk about it? And, and that sort of thing. And what, you know, why did I come out publicly on, on TV about being 
you know, a gay athlete is, well, I've just always lived openly since about 20. So I don't know why I would hide these things from, from the media, whether it makes me weak or, or you know, vulnerable from my opponents or something like that. I, I don't know. It, it's mad how sport works in such a, why there's so much discrimination or so much concern about speaking about mental health. It blows my mind because people talk about, you know, living authentically, living true to themselves. And I wonder how many people really, really are. And, 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 and I think the whole pandemic will expose, not expose, will help people change that. And they've learned what's important. And when life does return to normal, they go, actually, I don't want that. I don't want to have to do that anymore. Yeah. And, and and if I can be the catalyst to somebody coming out or, or living mm. more true to them or, or like being sort of, I, I don't know. I don't know what it is because I know how lucky at the situation I, I, I'm in, in a way, because I've got supportive family. Some people are, live in countries where being gay is illegal or, or you know, mental health support, just, it, it doesn't exist. But if I can be a catalyst to help with some kind of one person, then then I feel like I've achieved way way more than I ever could have dreamt about. And I mean, for me, it really saddens me actually that it is such a big thing to come out in sport, and it was made such a big deal of when you did. I mean, without sort of belittling what you did because it, it was incredibly brave to do, but it shouldn't be, and it shouldn't matter what your sexuality, your race, gender, or anything. If you're good at something, then we should admire that. And if you train hard and work hard for it, that should be it. And I, I still, I, I don't understand why so few sportsmen and women come out. I mean, I think even now we've got so few openly gay athletes and I just, I, I can't understand it. Yeah, I, I don't, I, people ask me why and I, I honestly don't, I don't know why. And I don't know why sport is so far behind, uh, you know, the rest of probably Western society. And, and it's just more... It, it's it's having something about it, it is so it is so tricky and, and i've been out publicly for five years and i yeah. i learned uh how a big deal it was after i'd done it and i and i didn't really i didn't think it was i was a nobody i not many people know who i am now and yeah it was still it's still brought up as a as a news story when when LGBT month comes around or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And and it infuriates me to a point, but I get it and, and I'm so that's why I'm so proud I've done it because I realise how behind sport is and how it's helped you know, that I get more messages and still to this day from gay people in sport all around the world saying, I wish I was in the same situation as you and I feel awful. Or they say, Oh, you know, you've inspired me to try and try and live openly or, or to speak to somebody about this. And, and it's fantastic to get those messages. It inspires me. And so it, that's why I keep going on about it as well. I, I, you know, I'm more than happy just to talk about it, but I don't, I, you know, I work with Stonewall and I work, work with other charities and stuff like that, but I'm not one just to put a rainbow flag on my badge, on, on my T-shirt, whatever. And, that, and that's it. I just want to live openly because it's far more real and it shows what's possible and if i can if i succeed as an athlete then let's talk about the medals let's talk about the records first 
and then say, oh, but he's also a gay gay man or, you know, she's a, a lesbian or, or whatever. But the medals and the success comes first because they can do it. Uh, you know, uh, it makes absolutely no difference. Uh, and that's why, you know, I support charities and events and, and stuff, but it's more about just live yourself and you will naturally inspire others to do the same. I mean, I was going to ask you about Stonewall, actually, because, I mean, even their idea of this acceptance without exception, I think is a fantastic idea. And I, I could see naturally why you support them, but it's still, I mean... What more can, for anyone watching this now and watching it back online, what, what can we do to help try and raise that awareness, break down that stigma? Because it, it, it's wrong. And as you say, it, it shouldn't matter at all what your sexual preferences are, what your race, etc. What I'm interested in is, are you legally doing your sport? Because obviously drugs is a, a completely different matter. So are you legally doing your sport? Are you good at it and excelling at it? And can we watch and admire someone that's at the very top of their game who's clearly worked hard and done incredible things? And that's, for me, so much what athletics is. It's been a look at the very fittest, best of society and go, wow, look, that's an incredible thing, stretching and testing the human body. Yeah, oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. And sport doesn't judge it. It doesn't judge anyone. So that's why sport is so, it's such an equal playing field, you know, unless you're doping, <laughs> it is an equal playing field um, because it doesn't matter what your skin colour is. It doesn't matter, you know, who you go home to at the end of the day or, or what your religion yeah. or faith is. Sport doesn't judge you. It's just how good, it's how hard you're willing to work and how fast you can run or how far you can throw something or how well you can kick a ball. And that's why sport should be the most inclusive and and uh, and safest place for people people to be and i think just you know using your it's thinking about what language you use and the the, the term banter now is already kind of going out the window as something you know it's not banter you can have banter with friends and jokes and that sort of thing you don't need to address their sexuality or, or use words like that in a derogatory manner or you know it would be the same with words related to race and you just don't it's not banter you know, it's just not, it, you don't know who's listening that, that you're going to make feel so unwanted because you're just having a joke or something. And that's, you know, if people say, what can we do? It's really hard. It's, it's, uh, I, lots of people I don't think actually want to talk about it. I don't think they want it shoved down your, your throat. On, you, by the way, you know, we're going to have a session on this today. We're going to have a session on that today. Or oh, is anybody, uh, you know, bisexual here, you know, it's just about making it a safe space rather than make making it all about yeah. one person or one or, yeah. or one group of people because that will probably push people away a little bit more. <laughs> what I found, I mean, I, I recently saw an article from the military as well because obviously they they I mean, being ex army myself, I was kind of keeping on what they're doing, and they've now only recently just decided to award back operational medals that were given to members of the armed forces that were arrested, kicked out because of their sexuality. And you think, uh, I mean, and during the time I served, there were people that had uh, been, had arrested other individuals for that. And you think you couldn't imagine that in our lifetime, could you? And it's just, whilst I think we're making tiny bits of progress. I think we've all still got a long way to go before that. I'm not going to say exception and tolerance because I don't think it even should be a, a factor where you accept or tolerate it. It's, that's the wrong language it shouldn't be any different and it shouldn't be a big deal. Yeah, uh, I agree. And and to be honest, the more people that are just 
live their lives openly, you know, with the wonders of social media and that sort of thing. That's the way things change. We're going to see the youth of today, the next generations coming through and just living them, being themselves because it's hopefully whoever they are is represented somewhere in the in the many, many medias that we have of today. Um, the one question I'm always asked is about a gay Premier League footballer. I can't tell the future. I don't know every footballer under, under the sun, so I can't answer the question. But I, I believe how it'll happen is it's just going to naturally occur that there's going to be a brave kid out there who is open with their family, who also happens to be a great footballer, but has lived yeah. openly all their life because they've been able to and they felt comfortable to. And then the next minute, they've been through the academy team and then they're in the first team. And then the press get wind of it and they're like, oh, hang on, we've known about this lad for ages. Oh, I didn't realise he was gay and this isn't news. And then hopefully that's how it happened. And that goes to the same for sort of all walks of life. Yeah. That, that kind of face discrimination is, is, it still needs to be spoken about. Stuff still needs to be talked about. It's not brushing it under the carpet. But the more we encourage people just to live openly, that spreads like a virus. It spreads like COVID, but it'll spread <laughs> good. <laughs> Um, so I want to kind of get back to the walkie again now. Um, I mean, this is an absolute critical issue. I said to you before we um, came live, that's something I wanted to talk about. But so 2017, obviously disqualified, then Commonwealth Games 2018. How did you feel going into that? Uh, to be honest, it was just a good dis distraction from everything that was going on in my own head. And it, because the Commonwealth Games were so early, they were April 2018. It, it was seven, six, no. Yeah, six, seven months on from yeah. London. So, you know, it was quick back into training and and we were away again. And so it was kind of, it didn't help the situations back home. And it made, it almost made things worse because I was away for about two months straight at one point that year. And, and of, of the first six months of 2018, I was away for five of them, I think. But it meant I was able to block out. I am the type of person that I am again. I was able just to use all my motivation to go and write. I am going to go and medal at Commonwealth Games because I'm not going to let one bad race kind of ruin everything. But I was on this upward trajectory. So, um, and then I was named co-captain. You were yeah. of the England Athletics team, which was awesome, a great honour. Again, a race walker. Yes, captain, like all, all this sort of thing. But most people didn't even know what race walking was ten years ago. Now you ask in the athletics team, they'll know. Hopefully, a few race walkers and 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 or fans of athletics will know me and a few others. Hopefully, so there was pressure, but I, immediately it changed. It was like, right, I've done the training. I, I'm not hurt. You know, everything's gone well. Think back to what you did before Rio. Enjoy the process. Enjoy being team captain. Sorry. Oh, am I back? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, running out of battery. Uh, enjoy the process. And funnily enough, when I got that right, the race went perfectly. Uh, of course, I'd love to have won. Dane, the Aussie, beat me by four seconds. Four seconds, yes. <laughs> uh, we were neck and neck until the last 200 metres. You were. I took, the first, I took the last bend. I got in front first, but I was so, so tired. I was on for a 40 second PB and, and national record anyway. 
that and he had the home crowd he had the Aussie crowd behind yeah, him yeah. And, and he had got his home race right and he used that home crowd in those last couple of hundred metres to absolutely tear, tear down those last last few metres and, and nip their gold medal and, and I was over the moon for him because he's a very good friend of mine Yeah. Um, 18 months later I was living in his house doing a month's training you know in, in Brisbane so He's a, he's a great lad, uh, and I was over the moon for him, and I was really pleased to then finish second. British record sort of kind of bounced back to where, where the sort of level I expected myself to be at this point. Uh, and did you find, because obviously the England team captain and your event being right at the very start, that kind of gave you that opportunity to, I suppose, get amongst the team. And did you fit into leadership role seeing yourself as a chance to really try and support and help others then and that help yourself as well in terms of your own journey to recovery um yeah 100 percent all around there really it's the sort of type of person person i was and, I, and again it was a bit of a distraction te technique and i'd use it again <laughs> except it was distraction technique in the future if i were to be a captain or, or even just as a senior member of the team just to take your mind off the race take your yeah. mind. it's not always about what's happening in a week's time you know you can block that out for now and and as long as you're doing the right things you can just enjoy the process and support others who might be really finding it hard or or nerve-wracking or not not enjoying being away from home so yeah definitely um uh i, I actually love the process and i hope I hope maybe one day I'll be asked to be team captain again. Although I did find the speech, and I, I don't mind public speaking or anything like that, but it was one of the most nerve-wracking speeches I've ever done in front of peers, I think. Yes. So, so that was very interesting. And obviously you say you've got in two weeks' time, the time trials, and we clearly wish you the best of luck for that. And then should it be successful? Have I got my dates right? <clears throat> the 5th of August is going to be the men's 20K event. Is that correct? No. <laughs> Normally, I know these things off the top of my head, but given COVID year, and part of me, if a little bit of me, I, I'm not now, but I have been most of the last 12 months, is, right, I've got to be prepared for the Olympics to be cancelled here, and what right. to, uh, then do to my bloody life. Um, uh, but, no, I think I think you're right. Although, part of me now thinks, actually, it's the fourth, and it's been moved forward, and last year it was meant to be the fifth. <laughs> Okay. Or was it the sixth and now it's the fifth? Whatever it was meant to be originally, it's now been brought forward by a day. Um, so it's either the fourth or fifth of August. My team will make sure that I turn up. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> so, so, um, I think, because I was having a look yesterday, it's in the Supporter Dory Park, and I think it's the events on the fifth and the pre medal presentation is on the sixth. Yeah, that sounds about right. So and it'll be in and around it anyway, and obviously we'll, we'll try and keep we'll keep an eye out for the time difference and everything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. I think it's quite a rubbish time difference. I think you have to wake up and watch me over your breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> and what just like to, a couple bits always ask everyone. So if people want to keep an I've been inspired by what you're doing, they want to watch your journey. What are the best platforms to follow you and keep an eye on you on? Oh, I'm just, uh, you know, at Tom Bosworth across all, all social media, um, you know, anybody can message me. Uh, I'm all, uh, my, my messages are open. So, you know, happy to chat away or answer any questions. Um, I've launched a walking community as well, uh, which is kind of any fans of me or, or um, walking or race walking or exercise. You know, I'm putting all sorts of content in there um, as well. So there's links to that on my on my pages. So. Yeah, it's 
as I say, uh, I'm I'm open and I'm really happy to support anyone and answer any questions. And if you want to follow me, yeah, yeah, click the follow and and uh, and hopefully you can see me succeed over the next few year, years when we get back to racing. Oh, fantastic! I, I forgot to mention because obviously we were talking about your times. We spoke about the five thirty-one, but it was eighteen minutes twenty for five k, and it's just. It, any park run you go to, if you see someone walking 18 minutes, 20, something's wrong. But I've got to ask, well, can we have a catch up again after the Olympics, regardless of the outcome, so we can kind of see how you felt in terms of the qualification, the build up, and then hopefully it'd be absolutely wonderful to talk to you with a, a medal there as well, showing off for us. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah, of course, we can definitely catch up again after. It'll be, it'll be uh, lovely. Super. Well, Tom, thank you very much for your time this evening. I really enjoyed it. And my 45 minutes completely out the window. It's flown by. Yeah, I know. And, and at the moment, half nine is late for me. <laughs> I need to go to bed. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll let you do that. And you take care. And um, all the very best of luck for the qualification in a couple of weeks. I'll be keeping an eye out for that. And thank you for your time this evening. Thanks, Carl. Thanks for having me. Take care. Bye. Cheers. And that concludes another interview for the day. Thank you to each and every one of you for listening. And as ever, if you have any feedback, send it through to me at my Instagram handle of fighting underscore the underscore dadbod. Enjoy the rest of your day.